welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 198, Everyday People with Big Hearts, an interview with Kristen Higgins, coming to you on Thursday, May 21st, 2020. I'm very excited because I've just interviewed a really big name author, somebody that I've admired for ages, um, a long time, (laughs) for my 200th episode. And oh my gosh, does it seem like 200 episodes to you? Because it doesn't. But 200 episodes coming up in two weeks. However, today I feel like there should be a big star next to episode 198 too, because this is another big author that I've admired for years. And I have to say... A few days after this interview, I took a Sunday afternoon and decided, you know what? John should just play his PlayStation. We don't have to worry about Netflix and what can we both do together that we both like because I'm going to sit down and read the entire rest of this book. And I was only maybe a third of the way through. Oh, when was the last time? I don't know. Maybe you're luckier than me in the reading department. But when was the last time I, at least got to just sit down for five or six hours and read an entire 400-page book. And not just that, not just that, it was so good. (laughs) And there was some laughing and giggling, and there was a lot of crying at the end. And then, oh, it was just happy. It was just happiness. So if you haven't read a Kristen Higgins book, I suggest you give it a try. At least read some book descriptions um, on whatever is your favorite place that you like to buy books and see whether or not this is the kind of book that interests you. I love it. They make me laugh a little bit. They make me cry a little bit. They just make me happy. (laughs) So Kristen Higgins is going to tell you all about how she does this. And the reason why I chose the title is because I think it describes all of her books. Everyday people with big hearts. That's probably why I love them so much. So since it was in a long interview, I did not want to stop talking to her. I want to have a short introduction. We'll get right to it. Here's Kristen. Today's guest is Kristen Higgins. Kristen is the New York Times, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, and Publishers Weekly best-selling author of 19 novels. They've been translated into more than two dozen languages and sold millions of copies worldwide. Her books have received dozens of awards and accolades, including starred reviews from Kirkus, the New York Journal of Books, Publishers Weekly, Library Journal, People, and Booklist. Her books regularly appear, appear on the list for best novels of the year. Kristen is also the co-host of the Crappy Friends podcast, which discusses the often complex dynamics of female friendships with her friend and fellow writer, Joss Day. The proud descendant of a butcher and a laundress, Kristen lives in Connecticut with her heroic firefighter husband. They own several badly behaved pets and are often visited by their entertaining and long-lashed children. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you. You did a great job. (laughs) Thank you. I didn't chip over it nearly as much as when I was practicing. (laughs) It's a mouthful. It's a mouthful. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to have you. I mean, partially just because um, you're already an author that I've met at conferences and read your books. And uh, also, it's just fun talking to people from the other side of the world who are you know, still having a very similar life to on this side of the world. Yes. Yeah. I'm in my pajamas and uh, drinking coffee all day long. Time is meaningless. I don't know what day of the week it is, you know. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So not that different, really, from my regular life. (laughs) 
I've talked to so many writers that I'm like, so is it just me or is your life as normal as it ever was? They're like, mm-hmm. yeah, just that there's other people in the house now. <laughs> right, right. Well, I have the luxury of, of being able to be alone. Uh, although my 21-year-old my son did move back home reluctantly. <laughs> he, he's working, he loves school. And um, so uh, if I need to get away, I come up to our, our little family place on Cape Cod, which is where I am now. Oh, nice. Okay. So, and so many of your books, or I don't know, all of them are set in Cape, Cape Cod, right? They're set in the Northeast. Um, okay. Quite a few are, let's, I can't remember, but a few in Massachusetts, Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, and Connecticut, and also um, upstate New York. So nice. I'm a Yankee. And yeah. I you, you know, <laughs> there's a very distinct sensibility about our region of of the country. Uh, and that's, you know, where I grew up, what I know. If I were to write a book set in Texas, everyone would know it was fake. You know, right. I don't, you know, there's a, just such a, like, there's a voice, there's a way of talking. Um, so I kind of stuck with what I knew. Yeah. Even though I've been gone since uh, 1993, like you, like I was born and raised in the same area, everything about my life was shaped in, from, you know, just a few miles apart until I was 25. Mm-hmm. So all of my books are set in some version of that area of the world. Yeah. 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 But and it's beautiful. Is- you know, I'm, Michigan is beautiful. Um, the Northeast is gorgeous. And, and you really do, as an author, you want to give that, your reader that sense of setting so that if they are from Texas and they're reading a book set in Vermont or something, they'll say like, it was like a, a vacation there, you know? Yeah. And I've had readers say like, I'm going to go to the Finger Lakes region of New York because of your books. And, <gasps> um, and, and it's, just, it's really satisfying to know that like you created a setting or I don't know, expounded on a setting in such a way that, that people felt like they've been there or want to go there. Yeah. Yeah, I had um, somebody email me once and say, I just went to three of the restaurants that Sydney went to in Little Miss Lovesick in Traverse City, Michigan. I'm like, oh, yeah. you done good. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. I have to ask you though. So we were talking about characters and, um, and you've mentioned your children, you know, so many mm-hmm. people do in their bio, but I'm wondering this whole needing to let everybody know the long last children. Is this because you are jealous or proud of their long eyelashes? You know, they, um, their father has long lashes. And that was actually the first thing I noticed when we were standing in line together and he turned around and looked at me and I was just like, oh my God, those eyelashes. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and they got their daddy's jeans. Um, but people remark on them constantly. Like we can't go anywhere without people saying like, oh my God, your eyelashes, your son's eyelashes, or, um, wow. you know. My daughter, you know, enhances them a little bit with mascara, but my son is like, you know, he rolls his eyes at like, all the women love my eyelashes. I'm like, embrace it, sweetheart, embrace it. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. someday you'll meet a girl who you like, and she's going to be like, wow, I'm totally enthralled by your eyelashes. And you'll be yeah. like, I know, right? <laughs> Oh, okay. So let's start at the beginning. I love starting at the beginning. Um, I like hearing people's, st- well, you know, we're writers. Of course, we like hearing people's stories. <laughs> but so tell us your story. How did you, um, when did you first start writing? How did you get into it? And when did you realize this was really going to be your thing? I, um, I got into writing fiction in my 
mid thirties. Um, and I, I had always loved to read, you know, I think most authors have that in common. And, um, but I never thought about writing a novel because it seems very daunting. And, um, and yet I was a stay at home mom in a rural town in Connecticut. Our house is 700 feet off the road. We don't have neighbors, which is lovely, but you know, it was kind of a, a lonely time. And I found myself telling myself stories. My husband was working two jobs as most firefighters do. And, you know, and I had these little kids who God bless them went to bed at like quarter to seven and slept for 12 hours. Wow. And also, yeah, also were like champion nappers. And I thought- Now everyone else is jealous, by the way. Well, you know, that was one thing my aunties all told me. It's like, they make them take naps. It will save your sanity. And they were right. Thank <laughs> you, aunties. Um, but I, I thought like, I really love staying home with the kids. I used to work in advertising. I've read thousands and thousands of books. And I bet I could write one. I bet I could write a romance novel because that's what I had read the most of. And, you know, it is, um, for me, I love to read a book where it's like very clearly structured. And, and I was, I found myself like becoming a student of the books, not just a, a reader. And, and I thought, I bet I could do this. I see what happens here, you know? And so my first book that I ever attempted to write, I, I'm married to an Irishman and I'm interested in Irish history. And I thought, I'll write like this Protestant Catholic drama romance set just after the potato famine. Cause how romantic is that? Right. Right. And People dying, um, leaving their home. Yeah. <laughs> so I had like a, a heroine who was the oldest of, you know, a thousand children and, um, <laughs> you know, like they were very poor. And then the Protestant Duke comes home. Um, and it was such a, a horrible, depressing mess. Like it, you know, it was laughably bad. We call, I call it the Pofam romance, you know, <laughs> they've got like, you know, Regency, Chick Lit, you know, friends to lovers and potato famine romance. <laughs> you know? So I, I wrote, I think I finished, I may have finished that book or I got well into it. And I thought even, even I don't want to read this. It's so depressing, you know? And, um, and it, like, I just loved the angstiness of it all. And then I thought, you know, none of this history is maybe accurate and it's hard to do all this research. I went yeah. to, um, it was funny, I, I, the internet was new. <laughs> it was like Google was new. I went to Google and I typed in um, writers conference near me. And there was one like, the next weekend in New England. Oh my goodness. Um, and I, so I went, it was a, the New England Romance Writers Conference. And I thought like, I'll go and pitch my potato famine romance and meet some published authors. And, you know, I'll be in, I'll be in the club. There'll be a bidding war for my book. And, of course. Right? Yeah. So, so I went to the conference and um, it, it was a, such a, a welcome feeling to meet people who understand what you're talking about, to find out that there are terms and words like character arc and critique partner and um, partial. And you start to learn the language. I didn't know anything about publishing. And I thought I was, I remember I was like looking around and listening to people talk about their books. 
And it seemed to me that everybody was writing um, very extraordinary worlds of vampires and shapeshifters or um, Navy SEALs turned bodyguard to the president's daughter um, and billionaires and opera singers and, and um, football players. And, you know, and I thought, like, where are the books about us? These, yeah. Myself, these women, my sister, my friends, you know, where's like the regular person romance? And I thought, that's what I should write. I should write a romantic comedy set in a small town. Yeah. You know, I live in a small town. I grew up in that same town and write what you know. Yeah. So I started the night of that conference um, writing what would become my first my first completed manuscript. And that was my, became my first published book, Fool's Rush In. Uh, oh my gosh, are you kidding? This is your first one? Okay, one? everybody, part of the reason why I was slightly <laughs> late today was because I was like, I'm just going to read one more chapter during lunch. Oh crap, I forgot to take a shower. I need to do that. <laughs> yes, Fool's Rush In. This is your yeah. first book? I mean, your that, first published That was, yeah, yeah. So and I, I think I picked it up just so that you know, because um, Michael Haig was like on and on about I'm pretty oh, sure it was this yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was one of my first teachers um, and, and still my best teacher when, when it comes to shaping a novel. I always refer back to his terms and his, his um, way of framing a story because it really resonated with me. But um, so I wrote that first book uh, while my son was in nursery school and, um, you know, kind of as a lark. And then I, I submitted um, to an agent. I figured there's this magical creature called agent out there and she does all the hard work, you know, yeah. negotiating contracts and foreign rights and all that. So I, I was rejected by, um, I think I got into the thirties, but one of the wow. first agents I submitted to was Maria Carvanus. And, um, and she, when she got back to me, um, she said, I'd like to see the full. And I gave her a pitch um, by email. She said, send me three chapters. And then um, she said, I'd love to see the full. And like a couple of weeks later, she called me with an offer of representation, which is when shit got real, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I was like, oh my God, you know, I have an agent now and she's going to sell my book. And she did. And, um, and it was a two book contract. And I was like, oh, I should write another, shouldn't yeah. I? You know, but luckily, as a first-time author, you know your book doesn't come out for two years, so you have time. Time, yeah. Um, and your and husband, when you were started, how did he feel? And then when you when it became real, how did he feel? He was and is just incredibly supportive. Um, when um, you know, when when he got hired as a firefighter, he had his dyslexia and he had trouble. Um, like with the written part of tests and I would, I would help him and help him study. And, um, and he said, um, you know, you helped make my dream come true. Now it's my turn to help you. Oh, right. and that is why you write romance. Right. And so, um, we love so you, Mr. Higgins. <laughs> <laughs> so he, um, he was, you know, like no one has been less surprised than him he's like because you're great honey you deserve this and you know he's he's really <laughs> thrilled and he you know he's the kind of husband who like I was talking to him yesterday I didn't get out of my pajamas all day you know it was about <laughs> six o'clock and he said thank you 
for all the hard work you're doing. And I'm just like looking like the laziest person on earth, like not even sitting up straight in my chair and we're FaceTiming. And he's like, thanks for doing the heavy lifting, honey. And I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? He's like, all this work. I know it takes a lot of mental energy. And I was like, so he, um, <laughs> he was completely thrilled. And, um, but I didn't really think that I would be a writer the way that I, like I look behind in the rearview mirror and I think, isn't it amazing? I've been writing now for 20 years. And um, my first book came out in 2006. And, um, and I've, I have my 20th book comes out in June, always the last to know. Wow. And I, I think I never, I never foresaw that. And I think when it hit home was um, when my daughter was in high school, um, I was offered like a four book deal. And I thought, this is going to keep going. Like, I think I might be a writer for a living, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was, it, I think it's not the kind of career where you can plan to be successful and support yourself on your books, you know? Um, it happens to some authors and it doesn't happen to many deserving authors, you know? There's a lot of luck and timing involved. Um, and I, I had the luck, I had the timing, I had a great publisher who, you know, kept with me while I was the best kept secret, you know, in publishing yeah. and they, um, they made me a best-selling author, you know, and um, <clears throat> so there's a lot, a lot of pieces to being an author. You have to do the work, you have to show up and, you know, being decent, I think is a big part of your relationship with your readers and your publisher and everything. Um, but it's still such a, like a, a happy shock to think like, oh, I'm, a, I'm an author. And I see the book cover and I'll see like my name really big on it. I'm like, oh, look, that's me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I remember the first time I saw something of mine in print. Um, and, you know, on the, on the one hand, in the, in the big scheme of things, it was a small thing. It was, um, I had one devotional and a devotional book. And it was the first thing I'd ever gotten published. But um, but this book was in Costco and I'm standing there surrounded by a crowd of people and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, and I, and I picked it up and I was just like looking for someone to tell. Right, right, right. I'm like, can I tell a stranger that I'm in this book? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you absolutely can. <laughs> so, so did you just realize that you had found your, your niche accidentally? Like you just wrote about people you know? Yeah. And again, I like, I, I wrote what I termed the, the every town, the every person romance, you know, where the heroes were not Navy SEALs or um, famous actors. They were eat the carpenter down the street or, you know, the lobster men. Um, uh, I like, I like that. Um, the idea that we regular folks can have uh, a splendid novel worthy romance, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was, my book came out in, in 2006. And if you like, look at the, the time that our country was going through, we had two wars. We were still raw from 9-11. Um, it was a very uncertain time. And I think people really loved finding a little community that they could move into because it's not Beverly Hills or Paris, you know, it's just like your neighborhood and um, the safety of of the small town community because communities are a big part of what I write. Yeah. Um, and 
And so I think that that was part of the reason for my success was the comfort that people got from the books and the laughter. You know? Yeah. That's the thing I always think about when I think of your books, it's, it's how much I generally laughed during them. But I love the way that your um, website says something about books that will make you laugh and cry and laugh again. I'm like, yeah, yeah that's, how, that's how I feel when I read them. How'd you know? <laughs> well, you know, um, I, I love that as a reader. I love like the full emotional journey. I want to be gutted. I want to cry. I want to know this character so deeply that when I read about what happened to her at the prom or, you know, how her mother always ignored her, something that I feel it, you know, and when an author does that for me, it's unforgettable. And I become their devoted fan promoter, you know, (laughs) servant, like, can I clean your cellar while you write another book real quick, you know, and (laughs) (laughs) I'll make you dinner. Just you, you do you, you know, um, yeah, and then it, it won't turn out like misery, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, number one fan. Um, but um, so I try to write what I want to read, you know. So I want people to laugh. I want there to be moments of, of absurdity. I want there to be um, gut-wrenching emotion. And then I, for my reader to trust, I'm going to make it all better, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's just, I love that emotional experience. Um, you know, witty repartee and goofiness is great, but for me, it doesn't sustain a whole novel. And also I don't want to read Anna Karenina, which is such a downer all the way through, you know? (laughs) Um, and, uh, you know, like for me, the great novels are, like Wuthering Heights, you know, you believe that Kathy and Heathcliff will get together and you know that they're meant together. And when I was 14 and reading it the first time, I was really, really angry that they didn't get together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so you have kind of your style, your place that you write. Um, and when we were talking about, you know, like what sorts of things should we talk about? And you were saying that, um, character development is one of your favorite writing topics to talk about to people. And I'm thinking, okay, that's perfect. Cause I want to ask you when somebody has, um, a, a, a little sliver of this genre, this is what they write. Um, but then after, you know, 19 or 20 books, um, what are some of the things that you do to try to make sure you're not writing another version of that same character from oh, three yeah. books ago? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And it, it is something that I struggle with because I like to write the funny, smart, self-deprecating heroine, right? Yeah. So how do you make sure that she's not just, you know, this character, cross out her name, put in another name. And um, for me, I, you know, I don't, I try not to only write the smart, funny, self-deprecating heroine. I also have written like more of the bitchy character, you know, the transformation of, of the shrew kind of thing. Um, and um, characters who are very, um, in, in always the last to know, I have a, a main character, Juliet, who is very down to earth, concrete, knows how to get things done. And yet she's having sort of an existential crisis in her life where she thinks like, I've done everything I was required to do. Why am I so scared and anxious and nervous about losing everything, you know? So I try not to just regurgitate what has worked in the past. And I look at, um, I always start with, this will be a book about 
and I try to fill in with one word like forgiveness or um, recovery um, or familial roles or marriage. This is a book about marriage, you know, when it works, when it doesn't, when it stops working. And, um, and then I pick the character. I love the complexity of family dynamics. I'm one of three. I'm the middle child. My mom has eight younger brothers and sisters. Oh, wow. And, and I think that one of the things I, I'm the, um, the oldest uh, granddaughter in a, a, you know, dozens of cousins and aunts and uncles. And because I was on the older side, it was always my job to kind of rally the children while the grownups talked, but I could eavesdrop, you know, I'd be eavesdropping on, on the grownups or I'd be like holding the fussy toddler and allowed to stay at the kitchen table because I was providing a service, you know, <laughs> and I just, I loved listening to them talk about their childhood things that my mom experienced that, you know, her brothers didn't, or, you know, the way my grandparents went from being 20 year old parents to being 42 year old parents, you know? Um, and, and I loved the way that, you know, this aunt would have a completely different perspective of, of that time of life. Um, and they'd be like, really, I didn't think, you know, uncle Larry was that bad. And like, no, uncle Larry was horrible, you know? I just loved the the different versions of the same event. And I think that's why I love writing families so much um, because of that. So I, I start with, this is the situation, you know, this is the theme of the book. This is what we'll, each character will be wrestling with. And then I look at why would, why would Sadie be such a free spirit? you know, it's less to know when her sister is such a list maker, color coding and all that, you know, what, what what's their difference in upbringing and, and, um, and, and what events can I put to justify and make the reader understand that Barb wasn't the best mother to Sadie, you know, but she's not a horrible person either. Why was she such a good mother to Juliet? You know, those kind of things. And I just, yeah. I, I spend probably two to three months developing that kind of thing before I start writing my book. Wow. Okay. So that, that I really know, you know, this character is this way because of these things that happened in her childhood, events, people, setting, and, um, and that's, that's why she's going to make sense. She's not going to just be, you know, the sweet, goofy, you know, bumbling heroine who stammers and you know yeah I, yeah I love that heroine and I've written her but but what else what else is she yeah what, what strengths does she have so like if all of your heroines were um were gathered on a bench in the mall and the average passerby walked by they might see three or four goofy girls and a couple of serious girls and something else but if they stood stopped and talked to them they would see how really different all of them were oh yeah you know there'd be the power suit heroine and the effortlessly elegant, grew up with lots of money heroine, and there'd be the skinny little tomboy and the six foot tall alpha woman, you know? And, um, you know, I think that, that that's where families come in. You know, yeah. if you have four older brothers, you're gonna be a different kind of girl, Yeah, you yeah. know? And, um, and if you have four older sisters, you're gonna be a different kind of girl. You know, if you're an only child, if you're adopted, if you're a twin, um, 
So yeah, I'd like, I like to think that each of my heroines would stand out. A, a lot of them would be friends. That's awesome. Yeah, that's one of the things that I, I am always thinking about. Like, um, I want to write about people that I want to be friends with, and I want to write about people who are like my friends. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> These are the people that I know really well. I know I could write them, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The most interesting thing that, um, so I, I'm pretty sure that God is cool with this, but it is still embarrassing to say out loud. So I go to church and somebody says something that I'm pretty sure that they meant for me to take in this direction, but I'm like, oh, in a book, then that would be like, <laughs> oh, yeah. And, yeah. So, um, so one time we had a pastor who, um, said three or four times over 10 years, um, cause it always stuck with me. Cause I was like, oh, this is, this is brilliant writing advice. Also really brilliant how to get along with your siblings advice but uh, he said nobody is born into the same family and then he would pause and let people really think about it and i was like yeah we have four and then i'm like oh my brother was born to be an only child and then my sister was born to be the only girl the little princess or whatever you know i mean mm -hmm. and then and then this and then this i'm like oh i see what he means and then i yeah. thought oh my gosh that's exactly like the perfect way to think of your characters you know right right yeah because because otherwise, I tend to have a lot of only child, parents dead characters. Right. I know. I know. And I've, you know, you, that's very appealing sometimes. Like, how do I make him a loner? I kill his family, you know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, I, I think, you know, nobody is born into the same family and no reader reads the same book. You know, there, there are expectations and, and personal things. You know, I, I, um, wrote a book about developing self-esteem in a body obsessed society and uh, looks obsessed society. And so I wrote good luck with that about how do you get confident and, and like own your power and enjoy yourself without constantly judging your exterior. Yeah. Because that's something I think, I mean, certainly every American woman has faced that. And I would, I would go so far as to say like every unfortunately every modernized culture every western culture first yeah. world nation we start thinking like well if only i was blonde or you know if my eyes were blue i remember having a boyfriend tell me you'd be really beautiful if you had blue eyes and like, <laughs> you don't really come back from that like yeah um and uh and so when when i got the reader response from that it was um like 99 percent grateful, help, healthy people said, like, I felt seen. It was like, you were in my head. I related to Georgia. I'm afraid of becoming like Emerson. I, I'm pretty much Marley, you know, and, um, and then there was that, like, that 1% of people who were like, I hated this book. I hated it. It was a horrible book. It was, you know, and, you know, of course, as a writer, you, you remember the 1%, but, but you realize, like, going into that book, you know, you bring all your emotions with it. And, and I think like one of the things that I try to do is rip off the band-aids till my character is exposed and vulnerable. And that's, that's when we love her the most and we understand her the most. That's when she's got to be the bravest. When all that stuff, all her coping mechanisms and defense mechanisms and her little shields and her deflections, take all that away and you leave them like raw and twitching in the sunlight and 
it can be hard to read, you know? I mean, the, I like to write about topics that are emotionally fraught, self-esteem, infidelity, you know, death of a loved one, um, rejection. And in order to really encapsulate that and give the reader the juicy emotional experience they want, you have to make those characters suffer. Yeah. I mean, sadism is a big part of being an author. <laughs> Exactly. And it's legal. Mm -hmm. So that works out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, of course, because, you know, writers talking to writers and then, you know, I really am paying attention to you, but I'm still thinking about that thing that you just said. <laughs> so, so I wonder if a um, few years go by so that you can get over the ouch of the, of the, um, you didn't say one star review, but that's how I think of them in my head. You know, the, the, the painful comments. There and then will I'm always thinking, be one, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I'm thinking, okay, so now I'm thinking about that person. Like, why do they hate this so much? And who, who are they? And how did they grow up? And what are they going through right now? And how could I use that? <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I love getting reader feedback and, and I interact a lot on social media with my readers. And I answer all the fan mails, even, I mean, if someone is really, really cruel, um, then I don't answer them. I had a book early in my career where, um, so I wrote it in 2008 and President Obama had just been elected. And I thought, who would, um, I wanted to have sort of like the good angel and the bad angel on the character's shoulder. And I thought, who would a 30 year old woman in Vermont look up to? And I thought, Michelle Obama. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Like who right. wouldn't look up to Michelle Obama? I said naively. <laughs> and, um, and so Michelle Obama was like the voice of reason and Betty Boop was the, you know, <laughs> always getting her into trouble. Yeah. And so I got some hate mail from people who, you know, said like, stop shoving your politics down my throat. And oh, I thought, golly. You know, I, I just didn't foresee that. I wouldn't change yeah. it, but I didn't foresee it. You know, I'd stand by my guns that Michelle Obama for this character would be a perfect fit and also that she i mean in my personal life i think she's one of the most admirable women in the world you know yeah yeah um so uh so you get that like that crazy mail and sometimes i would respond to it and say like i'm sorry that you felt michelle obama was not a suitable role model for this person yeah um but i also get like some crazy email one um uh, in one book my my character's dad had a pet snake and he has to go to jail and um, she's given charge of the snake, which she has mixed feelings about. Yeah. But um, it was very, you know, I always think that pets reflect personality. So of course he was going to have a snake. He is a snake. Um, and um, so one woman wrote to me and she said, I cannot believe you put a snake in this book. Don't you know I'm afraid of snakes? I will never <laughs> read you again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually didn't know that about you. <laughs> Not know that, you know. Or one, one person said, like, I, I didn't find it relatable that your, your heroine drove a Prius. <laughs> I'm just like, okay. <laughs> wow. you, you know, I'm not going to change your mind, so okay. Yeah. And what's really funny is that even if I was thinking that, like, I'm just wondering, I'm not, I'm, I honestly am not being mean or like have any negative feeling behind this, but I'm genuinely curious, what kind of person sends an email about it? I mean, yeah. like of all the things that you have to do during the day, who goes, you know what, I'm 
going to let Kristen Higgins know. Yeah. This is unbelievable that this the woman Prius, who drives a Prius. It ruined it for me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that is, you know, one of the, the difficulties of, of our life today is that um, people will say things online that they would never say at a reading yeah. or something. Although um, I was talking to uh, my friends, Robin Carr and Susan Elizabeth Phillips, if I'm allowed to name drop. Um, <laughs> we were Zooming the other day and... Um, and we were talking about, you know, those awkward moments or emails. And uh, Robin was at, a, at my local indie bookstore on a, on a big book tour a while ago. And so she has this packed house and she's talking and she's great in front of a crowd. And one woman raises her hand. And she said, I didn't like it. I didn't like this book. And Robin said, well, thank you for your honesty. <laughs> Any other <laughs> But um, you, know, you think like nobody forced you to sit down and finish the book lady or had you come out to tell that to her face. Um, but the internet lets you do that, you know, without even thinking. And, yeah. it's just, you know, it's part of the part of life. Yeah. Part of being a public figure, you know. But I also think that it gives us a lot of, a lot more things to, so I don't know how, how you feel about it, but I, but I feel like my book's, are not only entertaining, help people um, going through a tough time to think about something else, something that's going to turn out well, but, um, but there's also a lot of things just to ask yourself, hmm, what do I think? What do I feel about this? And, and when I write something where somebody is being mean, I feel like it's a great opportunity to let the reader ask themselves, oh, I do that. Do, do I think that that's mean? I mean, obviously character A thinks character B is being mean. Right. Right. Maybe I should rethink. I mean, I hope that that's what happens sometimes. Right. And I think right. that social media is definitely one of those things that I just feel like people just need to think about it more. I, you know, I definitely agree. I, I, I have deleted a lot of tweets where I think, do I need to weigh in on this subject? Um, will it matter? Sometimes the answer is yes, you know, um, you know, and on, you know, on different platforms, you, you have a different um, voice maybe. So I like, I'm a little sharper on Twitter and a little sweeter on Facebook. And um, I don't know what I am on Instagram. Random. <laughs> Random is good. <laughs> um, but I also, I, I say like, you know, I would never write about a book I didn't like. Um, I would never, that's me, you know. Yeah. Yeah. If I found a book problematic, I, I would, you know, if I said, wow, this was really racist. I had a problem with that, you know, yeah. but in general, I'm not going to finish a racist book, you know, yeah. so um, I'm not, you know, I'm not a book critic. Um, I'm more of a book praiser. Yeah. And there's yeah. so many books that I, that I'd love to read that I, I try not to waste time on the books that I don't. Yeah. Well, um, not to be a name dropper, but Robin Carr is going to be on my show soon too. So. Oh, oh, she's great. She's I can't wait. Friend. Yeah, she's fantastic. <laughs> well, I, and maybe the two of you can put in a good word for Right Now Workshop Podcast with Susan too. I'm, I've met her a few me. times. Look, but Look what I happen to be reading right oh, now. Sunrise on Half Moon Bay, right? This Robin is her, late, her latest book and it's about two sisters after the death of their mother. Um, oh. And they're 20 years apart in age. So as we were talking about, right. you know, nobody has the same family, not even siblings. They're not even in the same generation. They've never lived together until now, you know. So, um, 
so it's uh it's wonderful as you would expect from from robin um yeah but uh yeah no she's fantastic and you'll you'll really enjoy talking to her I ask her about wait. some of her funny fan mail oh okay good i will <laughs> and you must have some too right funny fan mail oh yeah i mean i some of my readers have become really good friends you know like where we'll have dinner when i'm in their city and Aww. um and uh you know I've been published for 14 years. So, um, you know, so some of these relationships go back and, um, and like, I love when people uh, post a picture of my kids who are, you know, now adults and they'll say like, Oh my gosh, you know, Declan got so handsome and I, you know, and, and, um, oh, I remember when she was just, you know, uh, going off to your first day of school pictures where she had the French braids, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, and so that's, that's really wonderful. But I get, I get some hilarious mail. Usually people say, I'm going to give you the story of something embarrassing that happened to me and you can use it in a book. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I often do. Interesting. Um, yeah, I, you know, as you, as you said earlier, like you have to be interested in people to be a writer. Yeah. And one of the things that's been hard for me about the pandemic quarantine is that I love people, you know, I love, I love to eavesdrop. <laughs> I love to make friends. You know, I will always talk to my seatmate on an airplane or the train. And, um, and some of my books have been born of interactions with strangers, you know, um, and, and, I miss that. I, yeah. I miss just chatting people up. Um, and I was taking a walk the other day and I ran into this little old man and, you know, we talked for 45 minutes because <laughs> I was like, oh, a human. Oh. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, it's funny when John got this, um, the job offer to move to Sweden and then we were like, hmm, are we going to move to Sweden? Like, it just seems... Um, even more outside our comfort zone than any of the other places we've moved to. And um, one of John's big arguments against was, Kitty, everything I've read is that Sweden is not very friendly and people don't talk to strangers and people don't make eye contact on the street. And like he'd read a bunch of things and he's like, seriously, I worry that we'll go someplace and you will be miserable. <laughs> How many, have you found that to be true? I mean, totally not true. Yeah. Whoever's writing these blog posts yet, yeah, they don't know how to be friendly to people. So right. uh, also I live in the city. So it's totally different than if I lived in a little town. Mm. But what I found and, um, and I go to a church that's like so international, like I, at some point I'm going to count how many countries are represented there, mm -hmm. which let me just tell you, church potluck has taken on a whole new meeting in an international church. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Nigerian chicken wings, something or others and South oh. Korean something. I don't understand what it is, but it was yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so what I found was, is that, um, if I try to just like rein it in a little bit, like don't be totally 100% kitty in front of people <laughs> um, and, and know when the, the look or the lack of eye contact means, oh my gosh, not, a one of you, not another one of you people who won't stop talking. But what I found <laughs> is there are so many people who are like, we love Americans. You're just so friendly. It's weird. Right. <laughs> I know we, my daughter um, did a semester in Denmark and we went over to visit and both my husband and I love to travel and we love to hear about what it's like, where they recommend, what's their favorite part of living in 
Copenhagen, you know, and we found that like we'd go into a restaurant and the waiter would come over and he'd say, hello. And we would say, hi, how are you? And they'd be like, I'm really good. Thank you. Wow. How weird that you asked, you know, <laughs> but there was always this like little, unmute, oh, you must be American, you know, yeah. um, and um, didn't mean they weren't friendly, you know, it just like I was in a store uh, one night and I wanted to buy my son a shirt. And this, one of the things that's so cool about, about Denmark and I bet Sweden too, is they close stores at five o'clock so you can go home and have a life. Uh, yeah. Right. It's weird and cool. So I'm in the store and I'm like, Declan, isn't this a cute shirt? Don't you think you would look great in the shirt? And it was like five minutes after five and my daughter comes over and says, mommy, they're, they're closed now. And I said, I, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Are you closed? And I looked at my watch and I'm like, oh, well, yes, but you can stay if you want to, you know, buy the shirt. And I was just like, they didn't even say, you know, lady, we're closing, you know? Yeah. Um, and I just, I just thought like, they're so civilized, but it can come across as, you know, maybe different from yeah, going to our mall where, you know, I'll leave with three friends from the makeup counter in Sephora. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And yet sometimes you get surprised. So I was in, you know, so it's lockdown. Um, I, I go to my same community grocery store, my same community, you know, stores that I always go to, and I've been going to them for two years and, and I'm just being me, you know? So, um, so I say to the grocery store clerk as she's checking out buying bananas, um, how are you? And, and, um, and she didn't really say anything, but there's that, now we have the pl plexiglass oh, yeah. partition, you know, so it's kind of hard to hear each other. And then she looked up at me and she smiled and she goes, Oh, how are you today? And I was like, <laughs> my gosh, she knows who I am. And I'm like, Hey, Tina. <laughs> and I'm like, this is great. Yeah. So honestly, I think that, um, I think that there, this is my, this is my bit of philosophical, you know, thing for the day. Um, I really think that people in general, they have their cultural things and they have their personality things, but people like to be liked and yeah. they like to be um, like remembered. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so yeah, when I go to Klaus Olsen's store and uh, you know, they're like, Hey kitty, Hey kitty. And my <laughs> husband's like, how much time do you spend shopping here? I'm like, no, no. It's just that I want to know how to say everybody's name and I can't say it. So then I tell them my name too. And then after a while they just remember. And it's, it's my, it's either my annoying nuisance personality or it's my gift to the world. I'm not sure okay, which one. We're going with gift. Let's, go Let's with do gift. it. Yeah. <laughs> because we can make it into something. Yeah. <laughs> And yet, you know, the annoying parts too really make good fiction. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, I just made a, a mean character, a mean coworker based on um, someone I ran into, um, you know, and I just thought, thank you for the fodder, you know? <laughs> um, and I do, it's, I think another characteristic of being a writer is a long memory. And I remember, you know, uh, zingers or um the, the time that my aunt kathy burst into tears at the kitchen table because of something so innocuous but you know so you, you go back 40 years and and you remember that mean girl from kindergarten who made fun of my shoes you know <laughs> and and they they resurfaced let alone like your old boyfriend you know what though i wrote a book based on what if we hadn't broken up like, and um, I, 
and I made it just like, it was sweet and funny. And it's actually, yeah. I think it's my best book so far. So oh. yeah. Yeah. So you never know. I mean, it is after all fiction. So <laughs> I know, I know. But, you know, okay, so let's, let's look at, um, for listeners who are just enjoying our conversation, let's think about some of the things that we've said and takeaways that we could have um, that, that all of us can try to remember. One of the important ones, I think, is what you said about you just don't know how a reader is going to react, and it might not be very nice. So have you learned to have kind of a, oh, I don't know, I don't want to say shield, but like just knowing... I am happy and comfortable with what I wrote and I know somebody's not going to like it and that's fine so that it doesn't hurt as much when it's like out of the blue. Like, are you kidding me? You, you hate me because of this? Yeah. Um, I, I have, I have developed a thicker skin um, because I think you have to, because if you're worried about hurting feelings uh, um, by bringing up difficult topics, then you're going to write a very bland book. Yeah. You know, and, um, and something that I, I pride myself on and something that has been mentioned from my very first book on is an element of emotional honesty. And I think we need that. Um, I think that as authors, if we can't be emotionally honest and talk about, you know, something terrible that happened or something ugly that was said or um, being othered, you know, if we can't talk about that, then why are we writing? You know, we want to get people to think. And um, in uh, one of my books, uh, now that you mention it, I have a, a very difficult scene where my heroine is assaulted. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's a terrifying scene to read. And um, she is really beat up and has to be hospitalized. And, um, and it's, you know, it's a difficult, difficult scene to read. But this happens to people. And if we don't write about it and we don't, we don't move through it with the character and let the character recover from that and be stronger because it happened and... Um, and, and learn from the experience, then, then what are we doing? We're just wasting time, you know? Yeah. So, um, I, I try not to think about, um, is this too sad? Is this too hard? Is this too, you know, too honest? Because that's a hallmark of my writing and I don't want that to change. Um, I, you know, I, I try not to, um, shame any, anyone, but I, I know that people are shamed, you know, um, for whatever reason, for, you know, you, you didn't have any friends in middle school and nobody liked you. Um, you know, one of my characters was too skinny and the kids made fun of her for that. You know, one of my characters was too chubby and the kids made fun of her for that. One was too tall, you know, and, um, and I think that if you, if you just try to write nice, you know, I don't think, I think you have to take a chance. Yeah. I mean, you and really are putting yourself out there. Yeah. I think that it's, um, 
helpful to me when I try to think, like when I have somebody in mind, there's a couple of books that I've had a, a particular friend of mine, and I'm thinking, I'm going to write this book for Rachel, because Rachel laughs at the things that I laugh at. Mm -hmm. And Rachel gets, you know, infuriated at the things that infuriate me. And so if I can make this book, you know, resonate with Rachel, then I will have kind of hit the marks that I was trying to hit, hit within myself. Right. But somehow right. focusing on her rather than on me and what I think seemed to help me to take away some of those, ooh, I don't know, should I or shouldn't I kind of right, arguments. Right. I mean, um, I think Stephen King talks about his ideal reader, you know, like he, he writes his books for his wife. And um, that's a, a beautiful love story. Yeah. Um, and I think about, um, you know, I, I, I definitely incorporate people I know into my books, you know, this aspect of their personality or that. And, um, and I, my ideal reader is actually my daughter um, because she's, uh, she's, she reads more books than I do. She's, you know, she basically came out of the womb with a book. <laughs> um, and, um, and I think, you know, if this is smart enough and funny enough and honest enough for her, then, then it's good. If she would be friends with my main characters, if she would understand that moment, um, then I'm going to run with it, you know? Nice. Yeah. Now, um, were you able to tell her that, um, earlier on or is that some sort of a secret that you save because you don't want her to hold it over you as the as the daughter to the mom <laughs> no no I mean she she was too little when I started writing you know yeah. um to read my books I made her wait till she was 14 and um and now she reads them all the day that my author copies come you know she sits down Aww. and then she emerges from the room and she's like it's wonderful you know um Aww. but um uh yeah, I, I don't know if I've told her, you know, you're my ideal reader. I don't know that I, I really thought about it until the question, you know, yeah. but, um, but in thinking about it, you know, if it meets her standards, then I feel like I've, I've done my job. My husband, on the other hand, he just like every book is a masterpiece. He cries through them and it's, ho it's horrible for him to read a book in front of me because if he laughs, I'm like, what? what? What's oh, right. <laughs> Where are, you, where are you in the book? Read me the sentence, you know. And, um, and if he cries, because he's, you know, he's a big softy. Um, if he cries, then I'm like, oh, honey. Sometimes like I sit on his lap. It's just like, there's no interrupted reading time for him. <laughs> you know, it's just like, he's on display, the whole book. Um, yeah. So, um, but it's really gratifying to see your spouse weeping over a sad part in your book, you know, and um, he's actually come to a couple events, um, you know, when I go on book tour and um, there was a book club in Brooklyn and he came to that and someone said, you know, what, what's it like for you to read your wife's book? And it was um, Life and Other Inconveniences, which came out last year and was just reissued in paperback. And he said, he actually got choked up answering the question. He said, that scene was very close to something that, that Kristen and I went through when our son was born. And yeah, it was really hard to read. <laughs> you know? and, um, and everyone was like, no. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, so, so I guess he's in my head too. I told him, you know, oh, you're going to be a wreck after this book, you know, and, and um, but it's, it's so, it's so gratifying too when you have like those readers who've been with you since the beginning and they write to you and they say, this was the best book you've ever written. It, oh. It's great, you know, because, and, and I don't know where you stand, Kitty, but, you know, 
I wrote romantic comedy at first, you know, and there was, there were family issues in there and some angst and tears, but the more I wrote, the more drawn I was to, um, not the couple just getting together, but the development of the characters being much more important than, you know, um, the physical attraction and then basing a relationship off the physical attraction. I wanted yeah. to give them big things to overcome, which is where I started to drift into women's fiction. And then my publisher said, let's just market it as women's fiction. <laughs> you know, oh, okay. um, you know, we think you belong there. And, um, uh, you know, some people will say like, I miss your romantic comedies. I know during the pandemic, a lot of people have gone back to the lighter stuff and I totally get it. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, I want that, you know, I, I like digging into the tough stuff. Yeah. Because we're all going to do it sometime or another. Yeah. I mean, whatever it is, it's tough for you. Somebody else has gone through it and it wouldn't hurt for somebody to be like, oh, wow, someone that I feel like this is like me and make them feel that they're not alone, that they're not the only one. Right. We all know we're not the only one who's ever gone through it, but it didn't feel like it when we're going through it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think um, that's a really important point. Um, again, you know, thinking of takeaways for listeners um, to, to grow and change and see how your writing changes over time is definitely like, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's, it's like life, you know, you want to grow and change and be smarter and braver. And, um, and in real life, a lot of, a lot of people don't do that. So you can say like, oh, my brother, I wish he would just, you know, and, and chances are he's never going to. But in a yeah. book, you can show the character doing that. And as an author, you can do that as well. You know, yeah. you don't have to write the same book over and over. I don't think that you should. You know, I know empires have been built on it. But, <laughs> um, and I, you know, there's nothing like a, uh, for me, like a light romantic comedy. I'm, you know, big fan of Alexis Martin, Alexa Martin, um, Andy J. Christopher. Uh, they write like these, incredibly fast, hilarious, delightful stories. And I'm hooked on them, Jackie Lau, you know, but, um, you know, I've, I've written those books and I do want to keep evolving as a writer. Yeah. I don't know what my next book is about, but you know, take it as it comes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and during the times that you're like, right now, this is what I write. Like, that's a good thing to know too. Yeah, you know, this the the book that I just passed in is a real love story. And there's a very tight focus on the hero and heroine, um, which is different from my multi-generational books like Life and Other Inconvenience and Always the Last to Now, where we have, you know, in Always the Last to Know, we have a 70-year-old heroine, a 42-year-old heroine, and a 32-year-old heroine. And um, and they're all in the same family. Um that was what I wanted to write last year, you yeah. know, and, um, and this love story was what I wanted to write this past year, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, as for the next book, I never know. Do you know? Oh. I never have a plan. You know, I have a feeling that the thing that the thing that ends up being the most important part of the book, that's the thing that I don't know what it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then I have to say that I'm like, Oh, like, 
best parts of the books are the ones where I'm crying as I'm typing and trying to wipe my eyes because I can't see. Yeah, because then you're like, oh, this is what this book is about. This is about Danny going, I'm an idiot. I can be an idiot for the rest of my life or I can like stop being an idiot and be happy. And that happens like 20 pages before the end of the book. (laughs) You know, I'm like, oh. I always say, I don't know what my book is really about until about 200 pages in. You know, it's because I know the situation and I know the characters and I know the challenges, but then there will be a line that just appears on my computer screen. And I think, there it is. That's what this book is about. That's the theme of this book. Um, Because uh, I think that you have to, I have to spend time with my characters. I have to spend time with them on the page. Um, I can't just think about them and outline and make notes. I have to write them into the story and then I start to really understand them. So do you think that your, you mentioned that first drafts are really, really hard for you. Do you, do you feel like you throw away a lot of stuff? Um, I, when I write a first draft, I'm miserable because, you know, my, my books are 400, 450 pages long and, um, and it's daunting to write chapter one, you know, and you think just 449 pages to go. Right. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, I, I am not a really confident writer, um, although with 20 books now, I have learned that that's just part of my process that improves my book is to not say, oh my God, I'm a star, I love me, you know? Um, <laughs> everything I write is amazing, don't edit me. You know? um, so I, I think like when I start to think like, this is horrible, this is sappy, God, you know, that's when I start to get better as a writer and question every choice. And um, so first drafts are miserable for me. I trick myself, this is a writer's tip. I write every scene in a separate document so that I don't have to go, I don't go, not to go back to the beginning and toy with the opening line. Ah, interesting. Because otherwise you would, you think, or you know. I would, you know, I'd have like the first perfect 50 pages and then nothing after it, you know. So I, I write, you know, the scene like, you know, Josh meets Lauren's mother and, um, and I, I put that in a separate document. And then when I'm all done, I stitch them together, quilt, you know, and, um, and then I read my crappy first draft. I revise it. Almost every sentence is revised somehow. And then I pass it in. And then my editor gives me her revision letter and I rewrite every sentence again. You know, I take a a strong look at every scene um, and just, you know, really finesse it, make the sentences lovely, make, you know, the structure of the sentence is different. You know, you re- yeah. that's when I really pay attention to it. And then I'm done. I'm really done. So nice. I guess three drafts um, and uh, one round of revisions is usually enough. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say that um, when I'm doing the revisions, that's when I start hearing the music in my head. So I don't yeah. know if that is you too. Oh, good. I was like, this might sound stupid, but I'm going to say it. That's when I, st- when I start to say like, I have, I have something good here, you know, and yeah. I love being edited. I mean, I, I like an editor with a strong point of view. Um, and, um, 
you know, who said like, I, I, this thread is so beautiful. Can we bring it up more? Turn up, turn up the volume, you know, um, or echo it throughout. And I think, yeah, I love that. You know, yeah. absolutely, we can do that. Um, so I believe in that. I'm not, um, I'm not someone who doesn't want any feedback, but I only want feedback from my editor. You know, yeah. I don't have a critique group anymore. And I, honestly, I don't have the time for that. I'm not a fast writer. I write a book a year, which, you know, out in the world is, 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 wow, that's really a lot. And in the world of like women's fiction, romance, it's not, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't have, I usually pass my book in, you know, I work on it up until midnight of my deadline. <laughs> 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 yeah. It's hard to say I'm really, really done. And I've, um, self-published all of my work mostly because, um, I, I mash genres together too much. So there isn't really a spot for me. Um, but, uh, I have to give myself a deadline or I will never say no. It's because there's a part of my brain. <laughs> it's, it's the, it's the mean girl who went to an Ivy league college for a little while who thinks she's smarter than the rest of my brain. She's like, it's, it really could be better, dear. You know, it really could be better. <laughs> I know. And, and that's the great thing about a deadline is that, you know, you can fuss with it, you know, forever. Yeah. And, um, and it's tempting to do that. And also there's the feeling of like, I wrote another book. I had this whole book. I don't want to start over. I don't want to start (laughs) from a blank canvas. You know, it's like, (laughs) let me stay with this one just a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I'm writing a nonfiction book right now. And and thank goodness I've had some other books in the past because I'm typing going, this is not what I said I was going to write. What am I writing? And I'm like, nope, I'm not doing anything. So I use Scrivener. So similar oh, to yeah. you, every, every chapter is in a different document within mm-hmm. the big document. But Switch I'm like, nope. Around. Yeah, yeah. But I'm like, nope, I'm not going to go back and read the other ones. I'm not going to edit. I'm just going to keep going and I'm not going to do anything until I get to the end. And then I'll print it all out and see whether or not it really is a big, horrible mess. Or if I didn't realize that I'm more brilliant than I realized. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love when I, when I get my author copies, I read the book again. And by then it's been probably a year since I looked at the book, 10 months maybe. And, um, and I read it, you know, in its, in its form. And I, come across sentences I don't remember writing and I say like this is really beautiful or oh I forgot that that was funny yeah you know I forgot that character um and uh and I I'm glad that I let it go you know and of course the last book that you wrote is always the best book that you wrote you know because it's fresh it's you're at the honeymoon phase and um uh you know you think like oh yeah I you know this book but um so people say like, what's, what's your favorite of all your work? And I'm like, oh, it's this one, you know, because, because it is, it's like holding your newborn baby who hasn't, yeah. you know, hasn't like torn the wallpaper off and eaten all your chocolate chips. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I started becoming a runner when I was about 38 or 39. I wanted to do something crazy before I was 40. Yeah. So, um, and, uh, you know, I was uh, in track for like a minute in high school and, and the coach was like, like in his, in his eyes, you could see that he was saying, you suck, you can't be on the team. Um, you know, but I've been running half marathons now for 10 years. Oh my so God. who knew? But right. I, I, 
I find so many parallels between, and I'm so loving, you know, your, your running scene at the beginning of Fool's Rush In. I'm like, totally been there and done that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Ripped from my own life. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there are so many parallels. Like, um, the idea that like, I am never going to finish first in any race unless maybe only one or two other people are in the race who've never run before, but otherwise <laughs> it's not going to happen. My goal, actually my long-term goal, cause you need long-term goals is to be, um, uh, healthy enough to keep on running until I'm in uh, the 90 to 100 age range, mm -hmm. because then there's probably not going to be more than two or three other people in there. So I should get first, second or third. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. you know it. But then I think of all these things and how they apply to, to writing as well. Like you just can't try to compare yourself and compete with other people. You need to do your own personal best. And then right. some races I'm like, wow, that was like, I want to do faster every race. I should be able to in my mind. But then I'm like, well, okay, you fell, you hurt yourself, you got new shoes and you did this. Mm -hmm. You're lucky you finished the race. And sometimes you have to look at that too as a writer. So um, while the so goal toys make better books. Yeah, that, that was, that was my point. I think, I think, you know, the, the worst thing a writer can do is compare herself to a more successful writer in terms of, um, who deserves it more, you know, and it's a really easy trap to fall into of, of, um, thinking, well, my book is better. And I don't understand why her book got all this attention, you know, and um, like Ann Patchett and I both wrote our, la our last book about based around a, a splendid house, a beautiful house. Hers is called The Dutch House. Mine was called Life and Other Inconveniences. And, you know, the house is very much a character in the story. Ann Patchett is Ann Patchett. You know, she's a literary writer who reviews for the New York Times and, um, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm a commercial <laughs> fiction author. And, um, and I loved, I loved her book. It was narrated by Tom Hanks, which did not hurt oh, a bit. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm thinking like, I will never breathe that air, but it's okay. You know, because, because she's, I mean, she's a fantastic writer. Her stuff is beautiful and it appeals to a different audience. Um, and I mean, it was, it was sad, beautiful, book and um and I know I'm never going to be Ann Patchett you know and that's yeah. okay with me that's yeah. all right you know um so I think that you know if you say like well she can write three books a year and and I can only write one or um you have to remember that it's all up to the readers you know the readers make you a bestseller they make you a viral sensation they make you um a success and it's it's not always you, you know, yeah. it's sometimes it's, it's the timing or the times, you know, luck of the draw. So yeah. um, I think nothing kills the joy of writing more than thinking you deserve a certain place in the universe. Yeah. So in those hard times, we, it's so hard. I, I feel like I should edit the interview. It's way too long, but I'm not going to. <laughs> if you're on a treadmill, stop. You need to just stop now. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but, uh, but that's it. That's let's, let's wrap up with that thought. What keeps you going when you're like, I'm just not feeling it today. You know, like, I feel like, why am I not Ann Patchett or why am I not, why am I not one of my best friends? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, um, 
I'm a pragmatic Yankee. I'm the hardworking middle child of my family. And um, I have to say, being a mother has really made me a better person. So I'm very aware of the example that I, that I gave my kids and that I still give my kids. I have to show up to work, you know, and the book ain't going to write itself, right? <laughs> and um, so I have to sit down and open a document and start typing words and, um, and somehow make those words into a story. So I know that half the job is just sitting down and opening your laptop, you know, and, um, and I'm lucky to have this job and I know it, you know, so as hard as it can be and as frustrating and sometimes as, as empty as I feel of new ideas, um, I know it'll come. You just gotta, just gotta go to work. That's awesome. I love it. Great advice. (laughs) Well, listen, tell us where people can find you and your books and you have some new books. Yes. Always the last to know comes out on June 9th and it's a story of Barb who is 70 years old and her two grown daughters who have to coalesce around uh, Barb's husband, John, their girl's dad, when he has a massive stroke and uh, really interact together as a team for the first time ever. Um, and I think, I think readers will really like it. It's women's fiction. It's got a romantic comedy line in it. And, um, and it hits bookstores June 9th. And you can find me at kristenhiggins.com. And uh, my Facebook page is Kristen Higgins Books. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Kristen Higgins. Awesome. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much for giving us part of your writing day to talk about writing. It was my pleasure. It was great. Thank you, Kitty.